Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Praise the Lord. 2016, here we come. Well, everyone have a good Christmas. Good New Year. Where were the others? (laughs) Well, I hope you all had a a wonderful time indeed. Um, We sort of said in our house that we would have a nice peaceful Christmas. And um, we ended up traveling around, seeing friends, family. And uh, I actually sat here this morning and I thought, Oh no, I go back to work on Monday. I thought, I haven't even sat and rested. So I should be going back to work on Monday claiming my rest. <laughs> um, this morning I'm going to bring a message, uh, which I, I feel in my spirit is something that the Lord has laid on my heart to share with you. It is something which I feel that I should encourage you to bookmark it, not just for today, not just for this week, but I feel that the Lord is asking you to bookmark it for the rest of this year. Because as you go through this year, as you go through the challenges that you're going to face, as you go through all the optimism and the opportunities, um, and you have all the the new dreams and opportunities and visions that you're sort of conjuring up in your mind and in your spirits and your hearts, I feel that sometimes there are going to be ways in which you're going to travel and you're going to come into question whether you've seen it right, thought it right, acted it out right, And I feel that this word this morning is going to be something that you need to bookmark in your diaries, in your Bibles, in your hearts, in your minds. And you need to come back to it each and every time. This is a reminder of a promise from God to each and every one of us here. It was a promise that was spoken at the time of King David. It was spoken then over his people and these Promises have been spoken over God's people many times in the Bible. But I believe that the Lord wants to remind us of a few of these points so that we can hold on to these as we go through 2016. Amen? So we're going to turn to the book of Psalms 37. And we're going to read from 23, verse 23 to verse 24. And the Bible reads... The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. And though he fall, that's man, that's the people, he shall not be utterly cast down. For the Lord upholds him with his hand. And I believe this morning that as we read this psalm, just to give you a bit of insight, Psalm 37 was originally penned by David, who we know as either King David or David the shepherd boy from his youth. And in this psalm, he's describing, as we read through the whole psalm, you'll see that he's describing the the state between those who have a relationship with God, those who are, are, are just, those who are standing in righteousness. And that is not to say that they are perfect, but just that they are standing under the favor of God. And those who do not have a relationship with God. So there is a contrast and a comparison taking place here between the two types of people that there are. There are those who believe and have a relationship with God, and there are those that don't, and don't have a relationship with God. And the way that God treats each and every one of us, and the gifts and the blessings that he bestows upon each and every one of us, are dependent upon 
our relationship with him. So the first point that we can extract from this uh, short sort of scripture is that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. That is to say that he has ordained all the steps of us and he, and he delights, not just ordering our steps, but he delights in us. He takes pleasure in us. Amen? This goes back, if we look at Exodus, there is going to be a little bit of flipping around, by the way, of some scripture here, because I really want to help you to understand the level of love that God has got for you. Exodus 20 and verses 4 to 6. At this particular point in the Bible, Moses had just come down from Mount Sinai, and they just had a time where obviously all the Israelites were gathered around the base of the mountain. They were instructed by God not to touch the mountain. They weren't to go up the mountain. But Moses was up there, and he was receiving from God the Ten Commandments, the instructions, the laws, the statutes that God was going to impart on his people down at the base of the mountain. And when we read on to verse 4 to 6, it says here, this is one of the commandments, You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. A jealous God. He is not jealous of you, so let's not get confused with that. He's not jealous of you. He is jealous for you. His love, if we can relate this to some kind of a human emotion, is, is such that it's described in the Bible as a jealous love. He is passionately driven for you. He loves you. He adores you. You are the work of his hand. Amen? When we read Genesis, we read about how God created the heavens and the earth. He created the heavens and the earth for something. To house something. He created the beasts of the earth. He created the creeping things of the earth. He created mankind. He created us so that we could be the object of his affection. And in return, we would be able to love him back. The Bible says that we love him because he first loved us. Amen? So we are the apple of his eye. We are the object of his passion and his love. We are an expression of that. And we need to express it back to him. So when we wake up some days and we feel pretty, pretty low and rotten inside, we just need to remind ourselves that God is willing to step down from heaven and to suffer on the cross through his son, Jesus Christ, so that we can be redeemed back to him, so that we can have a relationship with him. And it has been his desire since the fall of Adam and Eve, since the fall of mankind, it has been his desire continuously to reconcile us back to him, to bring us back to him, so that we would know him and and understand him, and he would be able to uh, bless us with direction and steer our lives and and do the things that we would like to do. And we would have that kind of father-child relationship. That was the way that it was supposed to be. And that's what God's plan is for us continuously to try and bring us back to him. John 3.16. We all know this scripture. It's a very well quoted scripture. It is a scripture that basically expresses to us and that helps us to understand that God so loves us. That he's prepared to take us 
out of the equation when it comes to receiving punishment. And he's prepared to put himself through his son, Jesus Christ, in our place. Jesus says that it is, it is better that we would lay down our lives for someone else. It is better that we would lay down our lives because that is an expression of true love. It is a difficult thing to do. That if you don't know someone or even if you've got a friend and you, you see them in trouble, that you would take the punishment that is due to them upon you. But that is what God has done for us through his son. Genesis 3. Verse 8 to 10 talks of, this is just after the, the time when Adam and Eve had just taken the, uh, the apple from the tree. And Adam was, uh, heard God's voice in the Garden of Eden. And it was a time when he heard God walking in the Garden of Eden. And it, when we read this, and I've mentioned it before in another, in another sermon, we realize that Adam knew the sound of God walking in the garden. Adam knew God's voice as he was calling out to him, Adam, Adam, where are you? So it wasn't that it was disfamiliar to Adam. He knew what the sound was like. He knew that God was walking in the garden. So the relationship must have been so close up until that point that he was familiar with the sound of his father. Amen? How many of us, when you pick up the phone... And you're chatting to your friends and you're talking to, to your family. How long does it take you if they don't say who they are before you realize who they are? Sometimes it can be absolutely instantaneous. You pick up the phone and you say, oh, how are you doing? Oh, yeah, I know who it is. And they don't even have to say very much other than hello. And you already know who that person is. Because you are familiar with their voice. You're familiar with the sound of their voice, with the tone of their voice. You're familiar with with the way that they talk to you. You're familiar with even the way that they, they sound when they're walking towards you. Or the shadow. If you see a shadow, you, you sometimes you actually are familiar with the shape of the shadow and you realize who that is. So there are all sorts of ways that we can be familiar with the, the people and the friends and the family and the loved ones that we know. And this is exactly how it was with Adam in the Garden of Eden. The relationship between him and God up until the fall had been so close and intimate that God had expressed uh, all his love and adoration, created all this for Adam and he'd put Adam in the garden and he'd made Eve out from Adam. And all of a sudden there's a separation that takes place but Adam still recognizes God's voice. He still recognizes the sound of God walking in the garden. And how many times when we are going through our day-to-day duties or day-to-day tasks, and we sort of sometimes not, not sort of sure of whether God loves us or not, but then we see something or hear something or we read something and we see the familiarity of God's love expressed in that person. Or in something that someone has said to us. And all of a sudden you realize, God's not far. The Bible says that he will never leave us, nor forsake us. Which means that he is always near. He is always behind and to the side of us. The Holy Spirit is in us. But it's whether we choose to listen to what the Holy Spirit has to say. Whether we choose to respond and receive what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. Amen. 
So how, how madly, passionately, deeply in love with God are you? Because he is deeply, jealously in love with you. And when you read through what Jesus did for us, when he took the punishment, the wrath of anger, the, the judgment that was due for each and every one of us, when he took that upon his shoulders and he cried out, because there's that time where he was on the cross and he cried out, Eli, Eli, Labak, Bath, uh, Samani, which in, in Hebrew it means, um, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or where are you? So there's that time where all the judgment, all the anger was laid upon Jesus. And for that moment, in that instant moment, he was abandoned. He felt abandoned. He felt separated from God. And so he cried out, why have you forsaken me? So everything that was due for us was placed on Jesus. And the qualifying question for us really, if we can call it this, is that when the day comes, whether it's soon or later, we will have to stand before God. But the question is, have you responded to the qualifying question? And that is, do you believe or do you not believe? Do you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour? Or do you not accept him as your Lord and Savior? Just the other day, um, I, I've shared this story with a few people. It's quite funny now I look back on it, but at the time it was quite terrifying. Um, over the Christmas period, we decided that we would take our children down to London. And we thought that we'd uh, have a bit of a time of spoiling them, taking them around some sites and seeing. And we thought that we would uh, take them into Hamleys at Christmas. I do not know what was going through my mind but it's the, one of the best toy stores, apparently, to take children to. And we took them there at Christmas in London. And it was hustle bustle, lots of people. And within 30 seconds of walking in the store, the children were like, oh, I want this and I want that and I want this and I want this. And I just found myself saying no to everything. I looked at the price tags afterwards. I didn't look at the price tag first. My default was no, 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 no. No, put it back. Becky, put it back. Put it back. She was taking teddy bears off of the shelves and trying to hold them and carry them. I don't know how many teddy bears. <laughs> I kept my eyes on them. But not to say that we were stealing them. Whilst we were down there, my wife went to go and pay for the... And as I was walking out, I walked out of the Hamley store and I walked into the streets on Regent Street. And there's two taxis parked back to back. And there's a cordon being placed around these taxis by the police. And the police are shouting at everyone to evacuate, to move out the way. They're telling everyone to get back into the stores. People move to the back of the stores. And for a brief second, I sort of turned around. I lost my children. I'd lost my wife. I was looking around for them. Starting all this, all I could feel was this panic going up inside me. Thinking, where, am, where is my family? Where are my children? Where are they? The police then started to explain to people because they weren't moving. They started to, ex uh, to explain to people that there was uh, two taxis parked outside, that they needed to evacuate to the back of the store and get out. There was a, a real concern that any moment that those cars would explode, that there was a bomb in those cars. Now, it turned out to be, thank God, uh, completely false, and uh, that, that uh, it was all resolved after a sort of hour or two hours and everything went back to normal. 
But for those brief seconds, those brief minutes that we were separated, my children and, my, and myself, my, my heart, my panic, my worry was, where are they? Because of my love for them. I wanted them to be safe. I wanted them to be protected. I didn't want any harm to come to them. And so I, I ran, despite what the police were saying, to get out of the way and moving me out of the way onto the streets, I ran back into the store. And I went back into the store to find my children and find my wife. And so we evacuated out the back of the store and we, we got away, thank God. How many souls were walking up and down Regent Street that morning thinking, I know it's Christmas. I know, I've heard the Christmas story. I know about God's love for me. I know he kind of loves me, um, but I'll leave it. I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm good. I'm safe. I'm cool. My life's good. And they put it off. How many souls were there that morning that had those cars gone off would never have had the opportunity to accept Jesus Christ into their lives? For them, that would have been it. Game over. And that's the seriousness of it. God's love is so jealous. It's so passionately there for us. But it's whether we choose to accept it. It's whether we choose to respond to it. He's already placed his son on this earth. He's already paid the price, the judgment, the wrath of God has been, put, has been heaped on Jesus. We have got a, a get out of jail card here. We have got a ticket to freedom. But it's whether you choose to use it. Because you do not know what is around the corner. You do not know what is going to happen in your life. God knows. But we do not know. We are living these moments out each and every day. But one thing that you can be assured of is that God delights in you. Whether you know him or whether you don't, he knows you. And he delights in you. He delights in everything about your life. He delights, and by delight, I mean he takes pleasure. He watches over you. He gazes over you with an adoring eye and an adoring heart. After all, we are the apple of his eye. And when we read Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, this is just a verse that just highlights a little bit about how much God loves us. It says here, The Lord your God, in your midst, the mighty one, will save He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. And he will rejoice over you with singing. This morning we were asking God in our singing, we were asking God to give us a song. How many of us are familiar with our parents when they would probably sit over our cribs and they would sing nursery rhymes and they would would sing songs and say, you know, all these uh, lovely little songs that sort of, I can't remember any myself. <laughs> but songs that they, the patients would sing. My wife would sit over my, my children sometimes. We would sit on the sofa with them. She'd hold them in, the, in her arms. And she would sing Shona songs to them. And she would sing these songs, which were words of love and adoration. And we will do this and we will do that. Songs to connect the parents to the children. And the song that God sings over your life 
is a song that is to connect you to him. It's a song of promises. It's a song of success. It's a song that no harm will come to you. But we need to be within earshot to hear his song. We need to have our spirit connected to his spirit to receive that song, to hear that song. So God delights in our lives from the moment that you were born. From the very second that you took your first breath. From the first time that you played football with your friends. When you fell down and bruised your knee. The first time you got into a fight with someone and tried to punch their lights out. For the first time that you thought it good to to try and swear and use language that wasn't really the right sort of language to use. To the time that you had your first crush and you saw someone and you just felt in your heart this flutter and this desire to want to get to know them because they're very attractive that you see something in them that just brings you closer. He delights in every single one of those moments. The Bible says that all of these moments are documented. Everything is documented. It's all ordained. It's all ordered. All the steps of your life are ordered by God. Good and bad. So when the bad things come in and when the good things come in, just hold on to the the idea that all of your steps are ordered. All of your steps are laid out before you. They're predestined. They're predetermined for you. All the parents in here are probably familiar with this. When I got the news, and and you've probably got the news when you were uh, expecting your first child. This is always a grand moment in everyone's life. The first thing you think is, oh, wow, I'm going to be a dad. Oh, no, I'm not ready. I've got this. I've got that to deal with. I'm going to have to change nappies. I'm going to have to wake up in the middle of the night. I like my sleep. And all of a sudden, you've got all these changes that you're going to have to make to your life because of another life coming in. But at the same time, You suddenly conjure up and conceive in your mind, even before the baby has gone past three months. You're already conceiving in your mind and in your heart. If it's a boy, I'm going to get him rugby stuff. I'm going to get him football stuff and boxing gloves. And I'm going to take him here and I'm going to take him there. And I'm going to show him what it is to be a man. And if it's a girl, she'll have Barbie. She'll have pink things. She'll have fluffy, soft things because I want her to be delicate and gentle and meek. I don't know what happened to my prayers over my daughter because she's quite fierce. (laughs) She knows her heart and she's very single-minded. But even before my children were born, I was conceiving in my mind and my heart what I would like them to do and to be. I would love my son to be this type of person. I would love him to know the Lord for himself and to fear God more than I do. Not the same as me, but more than me. I would love for him to have wonderful gifts and opportunities and friends surrounding him that build him up. I would love for him to be able to express those gifts 
and use those gifts in a way that helps other people. And I'm sure that each and every one of you sitting here this morning can remember those moments, those times in your early days when you had your children and even before they were born. When you were, you were thinking in your mind, I would love my child to go here, to study here. I would love for them to get this type of a job. I would love for them to go here and have these types of experiences. I would love for them to mix with these types of people. I would like for them to know these sorts of people. I would like for them to be able to reach out and have a generous heart and do these things for these people. And all of a sudden, without realizing it, you are predestinating your child's future. You're creating a framework by which you will raise your child and by which you will govern what they will and won't do. You're already determining the yeses and the noes that you are going to dispose upon them. So when they come to you and say, Daddy, can I have some sweets? And you say, no. It's already predetermined in your mind because you already know that you're the sort of parent that will not allow your children to have sweets at 10 o'clock in the evening when they should be in bed. You're the sort of parent that won't allow your children to hang out with with other people that are going to bring them down and lie and cheat and, and cause deceit amongst themselves to fall out all the time. Because you want your children to grow up being generous and kind and compassionate and loving towards other people. You want them to be strong strong-willed and to know their own heart. But at the same time, you want them to be meek and gentle and, and gentle in the way that they deal with other people. Yes? And so every parent sitting here is very familiar with this mindset, this kind of conflict that goes on in our minds when you first receive the news that you're having a child. We start to conjure up our children's future. How much more so can God do this for you? Amen? That you are the object of his passion. You are the expression of his creation. He put his life at breath into you. How much more so is he going to predestine your future, to order your steps, to ordain everything that comes into your life, good and bad? So when we look at Jeremiah, chapter 1, verse 5, this is Jeremiah the prophet and this is before he became a prophet, before, he, was, before he, he actually started going and speaking and prophesying his message to Judah. He was having a conversation with God. And the Lord spoke to him and said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. God has appointed and ordained all of your steps. He has ordered every single one of your steps. He says that you are going to be something special, miraculous. You are going to have a future of success. You will not fail. You will not fall. You will not become sad. You will be lifted up. His hand will be upon your lives. Because he predestines his journey and his path for you. He has ordered your steps. He has said, I am going to bring you into this world in love, in compassion. I've got a plan for you. Plans to prosper you. To give you a hope and a future. Plans that are not going to bring you down, destroy you. Amen. So we need to understand 
that as a loving father, as a loving parent, he has brought us into this world. He loves you with a jealous love. He will go after you. He will leave the 99 and he will go after you. That is what he has promised to you. That he will go after you because he is passionately, deeply in love with you. It is a jealous love. He does not want any other God to take over your life. He does not want you to express your love and adoration towards anything else or anyone else. He wants you to adore him the same way that he adores you. That is why he gave the second commandment. Because at that particular time, Israel was given in to some of the, the uh, worship that was going on around them. And they were worshipping nature gods. They were worshipping other gods that were classified as Baal. The wind, the rain, the sun. They were saying that these are all gods. We will worship these things. But he was saying, no, I am the God of gods. I am the Lord of lords. I am the host of hosts. I created you. I birthed you. I brought you into this world. I formed you in your mother's womb. He's that jealous for you. He's that passionately in love with you that he says to you, as any parent would, don't leave this house and go and start loving another parent. Come back to me for I am your father. How many of us as parents would love for our children to wake up in the morning and say thank you for my breakfast and go off and start hugging and kissing and giving all their love and affection to another father or another mother when you know that you've invested hours, days, weeks, uh, tears, crying over your children, crying over their illnesses, crying over their sadness, crying over all of the dreams that they have and had and they are broken and yet not coming true and they are hopeful for the future and the promises that they have and you look upon your children and you think I love you love me back and God is the same with each and every one of us he looks on you with adoration he loves you just as you are just as you are broken poor, needy, rich wise as thick as two short planks I don't know He loves you with an unending love. It knows no bounds. It has no limits. His love covers a multitude of our sins. It already has and it always will. Why? Because Jesus hung on the cross and he said, it is finished. It is done. Amen. Amen. Ephesians chapter 1. Verses 3 to 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Now this is the Ephesian church that they're being written to and addressed here. And they're being implored that God chose his prophets. He chose his people. He chose each and every one of us sitting in this room today because he knew us before the foundations of the world were even laid. In the book of Genesis, it says that the spirit of God hovered over the deep. The earth was without form and it was without without any shape. Amen. And in that darkness, God spoke, let there be light. 
He spoke into being everything that he wanted to create. But even before he even said his first word, let there be light. Before he even cried it, he knew you. He had conceived you in his mind. He knew what type of a life he wanted you to live. He knew what type of dreams he wanted you to dream. He knew what type of visions he wanted you to have. He knew what type of hope he wanted you to have. What type of prosperity was right for you? He knew, he knew and knows all of these things. So when you wake up some days and you think, what is my worth? Ask yourself the question. Has anyone died for you? Yes, Jesus Christ died for you. He bled and hung on the cross. That is how much he loves you. For God so loved you that he sent his only begotten son. The price for your love was blood. Remember that. Remember that. Amen. So as we go into 2016, hold on to that notion That God loves you. That he is jealous for you. And he wants you so close and so near that he's prepared to do whatever it takes. Even die on a cross for you. And as we go into the next scripture, the next part of the scripture. In 2016, we need to hold on to this and remember this. Because there is one uh, defining word here which sometimes can be missed. And it says on verse 24, it says, Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. And the word I want you to read is though. Not if. Though. It's not an if we stumble. It's not an if we trip. It's though we trip. God already knows in our hearts and in our lives That we're going to encounter things that challenge us, that stretch us, that pull us in many directions, that that provoke us because we are living in a world that is corrupt, that is broken. And as much as we are striving to try and do what pleases God and not what pleases man, God understands that we also may sometimes succumb to temptation. Or we may sometimes succumb to sin. Now it's not to say that that is acceptable. And that is what we should strive for. But it's just to say that God understands. He understands. And in, do, in so doing, he has also said that you are not going to fall. You will stumble, but you will not fall. So when we go through 2016... Hold on to the promise that God loves you with an unending love. And though you may stumble, you shall not fall. You will not be separated from God. Now sometimes there is a bit of a confusion. Sometimes there is a bit of confusion between temptation and a burden. Sometimes we say things like, God will not put upon you that which you cannot bear. He will not allow things to come against you that you cannot overcome. Amen? Now that's to some degree is true. But let's just look at these two scriptures now. And let's just draw a distinction between temptation and a burden. Amen? Because as we go through 2016, I want you to hold on to these two things. I want you to understand these 
so that you don't get confused. And when you face difficulties, you don't become swayed and feel that God has done you unjustly. So let us look at 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13. And here in the first Corinthians, this is when Paul is writing and exhorting and encouraging the saints of the Corinthian church. Now, this is the church that was born out of a pagan society. But in here, he writes to them and he says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may may be able to bear it. As you go through 2016, there will be temptations. The temptations will come from within. Because the book of James says that temptation does not come from the Lord, but it comes from within. Amen? Each and every one of us has a different idolatry, a different temptation, a different lust, a different uh, expression of things that we are interested in. Some of us have, uh, were, were further away from the Lord than others when we came in. So we all have different journeys. We all have different sins. We all have different temptations. But the common factor is that they are all sin. And temptation in the eyes of the Lord. No one is higher or lower than the other. Amen? So when we consider this, we just need to remind ourselves that temptation will come. It will. Let's be real for a moment. We're living in a broken world. We're surrounded by men and women who have rejected God. Who do not love God. Who who at the moment have not found Jesus Christ. And so they are, some of these people are in positions of authority. Some of these people are in positions of teaching your children. Some of these people are in position, positions of, of running countries. And yet they do not know God. So their thoughts, their ideology, the way that they like to do things is passed down to the people, their subordinates, the people that work with them and for them. The friends that you have, let's bring it more locally and closer to home. And I'm not judging anyone's friends here, so please forgive me. But the friends that you have, if they do not know the Lord, some of the things that they say and do may not bring you closer to the Lord, but in fact draw you away from God. Uh, Being... From an English culture, before I got saved, it was fairly normal, should I say, normal, to work throughout the week and then on a weekend go out and drink as much as you can drink and you would judge the success of the evening by how much alcohol you had consumed the night before, how much money you had spent and how ill you could be in the morning after. That was, that was my Friday night and stroke Saturday morning. And the older I got, the longer it took for me to recover. So normally where I could go out on a Friday night and then be fine the next morning, as I got older, I found that um, I was taking till Monday or Tuesday to recover because I just couldn't cope. And I was a lightweight anyway. So after a pint, I would normally collapse and fall down. So <clears throat> it was a cheap night for me. 
But my friends, when I surrendered to Jesus, and I rang, my, in my excitement, I rang my family, I rang my, my uncle, who I very seldom talked to, but I, I spoke to him, and I rang him, and I just sort of started forming a friendship or relationship with him, and I rang him and I said, oh, I'm a Christian. He went, oh, you're a born again. Brilliant. And then I spoke to my, uh, my friends and sort of said, oh, you know, I'm, I've given my life to Christ. And they went, oh, great, fantastic. Because to them, they had expectations already that I, there was going to be things now that I had to say no to, that I had to turn away from. And this is the same for us. That temptation is going to come our way throughout 2016. You can't get away from it. But the decision of whether you succumb to temptation or whether you overcome it is entirely up to you. The Bible says that he will provide a way out. So every time temptation comes to you, God will always provide a way out. A way to escape it. A way to run away from it. Amen? Take a Joseph mentality and run away from Potiphar's wife. Run away from the sin, from the temptation that knocks at your door. Every time it comes, every time it comes knocking and says, come on, you used to do this last year, 2015, this was what you used to think about. This is what you used to like to do. 2013, you remember that time when you were hanging out with your friends and you guys did this and that and when you went to this place and you did this and the laughs that you had and the joy that you had. Do you remember when you ridiculed these people? Do you remember when you were taunting these people? Do you remember when you were putting down these people? You know, so all the things that you used to do that because you were young and because you were naive and because you didn't quite know better, because you didn't know the Lord, all of a sudden you know the Lord and this temptation comes knocking on your door saying, come on, remember the fun that you used to have, the joy that you used to get from it? You should declare no. No. Because the blood of Christ has set me free from this. He has paid the price and set me free. He has predestined my life, predestined my future. And I want to step into that, not what. The devil has got for you. Because he will always try to draw you away with your lusts and your temptations. Amen? But God will always provide you with a way out. And the Bible says that it will not overtake you. Now, let's contrast that when we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And we're going to verse 8 to 10. And again, this is... Paul writing his letter again to the Corinthian church. But this time he's actually having to defend his position. He's having to defend both him and Timothy. Because the Corinthian church are questioning his integrity and his motive and his uh, ability. Amen. So he says here in verse 8. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia. That we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Who delivered us from so great a death, and does deliver us, in whom we trust that we will stand, deliver us. Burdens will come upon you. Temptations will lead you into sin. Burdens will weigh you down. 
They will become troublesome. They will occupy your time. They will occupy your mind. They will draw you away from God. They will make you feel that the people in your lives are dragging you back. That they are tiring you out, exhausting you of your emotional uh, uh, stockpile, of your your graciousness, your kindness, all the fruits of the Spirit, you will feel that they are being drained away because, one by one because of the burdens that you carry. But sometimes we tell each other that, don't worry, God will not put upon you that which you cannot bear. Lies. Lies. God will allow you to become overburdened. Because when things become overburdened for you, You have no one else to cry out to other than him. Because we stop looking at things through our physical eyes, through our own strength and our own abilities, and we take our eyes off of our own carnal carnal, uh, ability, and we say that actually this is to him. I give it to him. I can't cope with this anymore. I can't deal with this anymore. And so we surrender it to him. And the more we walk in his presence, the more we walk in accordance to the predestined path that he has got for us, the ordained steps that he has numbered for each and every one of us, then we will walk closer to him. We will have less of the temptations, should I say, because we will, we will each time we have a victory, we will remind ourselves by our testimony and the blood of the lamb that we have overcome and we will keep moving on. Amen? So we can... We can overcome the temptations, but the burdens, they could be increased. The more you walk with Christ, the more you walk with Jesus, he will give you more dreams. He will give you more visions. He will give you more responsibility. He who is a, uh, who, he who is a, a good steward over the small things, the little things, greater things shall he receive. Amen. So you, if you can express yourself as being a good steward to the Lord in little matters, then he will bless you with greater things. But be prepared because you cannot sit at home watching TV and still expecting God to reward you for being a good steward. Because the question is, how overburdened are you? How stretched are you in 2016? And it's not to say that we have got to feel grumpy and miserable about this. But actually, we should say, I'm doing this for the Lord. I'm doing this for the Lord. This is the Lord's work. This is for his kingdom. This is for his glory. And in so doing, we should not feel a sense of uh, resentment to what we are doing, but actually a sense of joy and love that we are able to do these things, that we are able to serve him in this way. Whether we are sweeping the floor, hoovering the floor, cleaning the windows, dealing with complaints, dealing with people, helping them to uh, understand their situations, listening to them, talking to them, praying with them, whatever it is. However the Lord is using you, embrace it in 2016. Embrace it and say more, Lord. Walk closer to the predestined path that he has got for you and ask for more. Amen? The victory lies in our choices and the actions. So if we've got a predestined path from God and he says that he's going to, he would like us ideally to walk in this way. Then the choices that we make will bring us closer to that path or lead us further away. When we look at Psalms 119 verse 5. This may be commonplace for each and every one of us that we cry this out to God. 
And we say, oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. In other words, Lord, you have a path for me. You have a journey for me. Please align my ways so they fit your ways. Amen. This year, as we go into 2016, let's make our cries, our prayers, let's make them so that we are asking God to align our desires, our dreams, our hopes, our visions. Let's ask God to bring them in line with his word and let's mean it. So much conflict goes on in our minds as to what we desire and what we hope for. And we're never quite sure whether it's of the Lord or not sometimes. And there are other times when we have an absolute conviction that, we've, that we're desiring something which is of the Lord. And let us try and just pray and ask God for more of those times this year that when we know something, when we have a desire or a dream in our hearts, that that desire or that dream or that vision or that hope for the future is in line with his word. Let's have that conviction that what we are dreaming and hoping is in fact from the Lord. But that only comes by spending time in his presence, by seeking his face, by pursuing him, by knocking on his door and saying, Lord, bring me in line with the will for my life. Bring me under the shadow of your wings. Help me to embrace you the way that you embrace me. Let me be a loving child to my loving father. It means that you have to fall on your knees in 2016 and surrender your life daily. Daily. The Bible says that we should die daily. That means that we are subjecting our flesh and we are putting it aside and we're saying, no, the spirit within us is what's going to prevail. Not the flesh man. The spirit man. Amen. It's a difficult challenge. It's a difficult challenge. James 1 verses 12 to 13. I mentioned it earlier. Talks there about our sins drawing us, our lusts drawing us away from God. But if we can always be sure that God is not tempting us, not drawing us away, but we just align our lives and and put ourselves in prayer before him, then all of these temptations will be dealt with. Amen? By the blood of the Lamb and by our testimony. And just finally, last point I want to raise here. God will never allow us to fall. Psalm 37 verse 24. It says, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. This is God's promise to you in 2016. Son, daughter, if you can understand my love for you, if you can see how much I am passionately in love with you, and I will pursue you, I will protect you, I will love you, I will bless you, You may stumble, but I will not let you fall, for my hand will be upon you and I will raise you up. Amen? Amen. That is his promise to you, each and every one of you listening today. And remind yourself as you go through this year, as you endure the challenges, the temptations, the false starts, just remind yourself that there is a hope in him. That your predestined path is in him. Your success is in him. Amen? In Isaiah 41.10. Isaiah 41.10. This is Old Testament now. 
Isaiah the prophet declares this. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. His promise to you through 2016 is do not fear, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, because he will hold you up. Amen? So let us not forget to trust him this year. Let us not let go of his promise to us. Let us just be reminded in our hearts of how much he loves us. That it's not an accident. Your life is not an accident. He's got a blueprint for your life. As young as and old as we are, he has a blueprint for each and every one of us. The question is, are you prepared to let go of some of the past God is not looking for you to be perfect this morning. Although that that is his heart's desire that we would be made perfect in his love. You do not have to be perfect to come to Christ. You just have to be broken, willing, have a surrenderous heart to desire something more than yourself. To understand that someone loves you more than you could love yourself. Just always remind yourself also that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You can't be passive as a Christian. You have to seek God daily. And this is his promise to you in 2016. I will never leave you I will never forsake you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Let's just stand to our feet. Thank you for listening and we trust that the word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.